Hi, it's Dan Hare for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, we are very honoured to have as our guest, Juno Award winner Patricia Dahlquist. We'll be talking music, travels, the business of music, the ups and downs of being a career entertainer, and we'll get some other insights as well from this diverse talent. So stick around for that, and for a look inside the Canadian music scene from someone who has been there for more than half a century. Patricia Dahlquist is an extraordinary talent, a singer, actor, and dancer. She won a Juno Award for Most Promising Female Vocalist of the Year in 1976. She also studied theater, classical violin, and ballet. She's been an actor on numerous TV shows, has done a great deal of volunteer work over the years, and been a vocal coach and theater coach and teacher for decades. There's actually too much on her resume to list in the intro, so we'll get into that further as we talk over the next hour. I've done shows myself with Patricia many times over the past almost 30 years now. I looked back and it's been almost that long and I'm always proud to say that she's a friend of mine. So thanks for joining me today, Patricia. How are you? I am very well and I'm really pleased to be with you today. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for coming on. I, I, I like to ask right up front, how are you doing through this COVID shutdown? Are you staying healthy and, and sane? I am staying healthy. I don't know how sane I am, but uh, <laughs> staying healthy. <laughs> Have you been staying home? I guess you've been sort of in lockdown. Uh, more or less. I go out for uh, for short breaks to buy food and and uh, you know go to the doctor or go to uh, you know go and take my kitty cat to the vet that sort of thing. But I yeah. make okay. sure that I'm covered up. I wear my gloves and my mask and and uh, yeah. keep keep socially distanced. And I notice that that uh, people are really really good at at uh, staying away from me i guess being yeah. a senior you know <laughs> yeah well good well i'm glad to, glad to hear you're doing okay it's uh, it's been a bit of an odd time it's kind of like the twilight zone here for the last seven months that's right <laughs> so just a brief history you, you were born in nelson the small town in bc actually not no no I was, uh, no um if you got that from my facebook i uh, i am uh <laughs> digitally um, hampered by the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to change anything on my Facebook. I was actually born in Oxford, England. Okay. During the war. And my mother was okay. a war bride and we came over to uh, Canada in 19, uh, 1944. So I was two wow. when I came to Canada. Well, there you go. And, and how did you end up in Nelson? Then? My that father was a school teacher. So he, after the war, he was a major in the Second World War, and he came back and studied theater, or studied, uh, that was me, studied um, education at UBC and oh, became nice. a school teacher. And, and we moved all around the, um, uh, the Kootenai Valley. So uh, we, were never, we never really lived in Nelson. We lived in small towns, Riondel, Caslow, Saslucan, around the, uh, the um, Kootenai Lake. And I went to school. I, my, my last few years of schooling were in the L.B. Rogers High School in Nelson. Okay, interesting. Well, see there, I, that's something I didn't know about you. I didn't realize that you were born in England. That's great. And and so your music influence, sort of a family thing? Yeah. How did you get influenced that way? My mother was a singer. She was a beautiful singer. And uh, she was um, actually studying voice as I was growing up, and I I heard her sing, and I would end up doing a lot of singing with her, and she would do a lot of uh, Gilbert and Sullivan shows. She actually started theater companies all around the, the uh, Kootenai Valley, 
And uh, so that was my influence, was her being in theater and her singing. Yeah, nice. So musical theater. And so when did you decide that you might be able to make a career of that or decide that you sort of wanted to pursue that for a life? I actually didn't even decide. It just happened. It was it was like I never, ever thought that I would do anything else. Oh, neat. Yeah. Okay. And, and so every step I took was in in pursuance of that whether i was you know being a server in a in a restaurant in order to make money while i was going to university um going going into the theater department i loved theater and then i did a musical theater show at university and i decided then that that was one of the areas that i wanted to pursue was musical theater yeah yeah, I can certainly hear that influence in, in everything you do. And when we've worked together, obviously that's a big part of what you do. And so what was your break? Like what, what, what was the sort of defining moment where you thought, okay, I, I can make something of this? Was it going to school or studying theater or was it music? Well, as I was studying at, U, at university, I studied education and I studied theater. But as I was doing that, I was going out and singing in, in clubs I um, I belonged to a couple of groups um, that uh, performed at the Bunkhouse, which was an internationally known folk music um, club in downtown Vancouver. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, and just being in those groups and singing all the time and rehearsing, we, one of my groups appeared on um, CBC, uh, CBC television early on, and uh, I just kept on that track. It was, it wasn't even a decision. It was just, I was good. So when I put myself in an, in an opportunity to do something, I usually got hired, which was really extraordinary. When looking back at it, um, it just, it, it all fell together because that was my intention was to just be in, in performance, you know, whether it was musical theater or whether it was recording and uh, being in uh, concert halls across the country. Yeah, that's a neat story because some people say, well, here was my defining moment. Other people say, well, it's just what I do. It's just what I am. I didn't overthink it. I just was doing it. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so just did, it. did you, and, and so you kept your name Patricia Dahlquist and I, I was always curious about that. Like, did you ever get a stage name or think about having a different handle? Not that there's anything wrong with your name, but w- did you ever get called Patty D or something that would be a little more sort of stagey or hip? <laughs> well, uh, people over the years asked me if I should change my name. And I said, no, I love my name. Yeah. I love well, it. I'm you know, with it's you. part of who I am, you know? Yeah. No, I, I hear you. And I, I mean, look, look what happened with John Cougar, right? You know, they made yeah. take the name John Cougar. And then he said, well, my name's John Mellencamp. And, and eventually he just changed back and said, yeah, it's ridiculous. But, you know, when you're an actor, I mean, mo- most famous actors that you know, especially the old school ones, all have different names, right? Yeah. So, no, no, that is part of who I am. I'm a big Swede. Why not? Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad that you did. I was just curious about it because, because you know how the, the the managers or promoters would want you to think of a stage name. So I wondered if you ever took one or, or considered taking one. No, I think the only uh, stage name that I ever got was a, ra- a radio interviewer in um, I can't remember where it was. He called me Little Patty Dahlquist. Yeah, there you go. And when, and when he saw me, he said, 
your little patty <laughs> <laughs> yes you're you're taller than that for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i'm always curious is there a time in your career and in your life when you were sort of at your peak like because you have such a diverse background because you did the acting and the singing and of course you had a pop radio hit was there a time when you sort of thought that this is it like i'm here i've i've made everything that i wanted to make well the my i think the most active time in my career was when i was in toronto and uh, when i got into um became part of the cbs um roster and at the same time that i was doing that i was doing television commercials and at the time that i that the hit really hit um i was the jello lady in canada so i was doing jello commercials and i oh. remember one, one lady running up to me on the street one day and saying aren't you aren't you and i thought she was going to say Patricia Dahlquist, who has a hit song, she said, aren't you, aren't you the Jello lady? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, knowing you as I do, you're probably just fine with that, right? Just had oh, a good yeah. laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. so, and and, and, uh, and uh, as I was, as um, I think before then, I was with uh, Hey Good Hardy and we did uh, – um, concerts uh, across Canada, and uh, uh, my f- very first gig with him was at the New York Playboy Club. Um, mm. And from then on, everything just really started to happen. I started doing cross-country uh, car show, car reveal shows, and and we kept doing concerts. We we had a long-running uh, show, um, the show band, Hey Good Hardy show band in the. Um, the, the TD Center in downtown Toronto. And from then on, it just kept on rolling. Uh, I was definitely on a roll for about 15 years in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And, and like you said, fast-paced and lots of things going on. So you felt like you were sort of at the heart of what was happening. Yeah. So let me talk to you a little bit about the album. So the album was recorded in 1975, is that right? Came out in 75? That's right, yeah. And uh, where was it recorded? It was recorded at Manta Sound Studios, which was the top studio in Canada at the time. Yeah. And uh, um, I remember I was recording, I was finishing up the album, doing some of the uh, uh, background tracks, because I did all the background harmonies. Um, So lots of background tracks, lots of mixing. Um, I was there at the same time Dan Hill was there. And I, I, he came to me, and that we both had a little break, and we were sitting in the lobby of Manta Sound, and he was in one studio, I was in another. And he said, Patricia, I just love your version of my song, which is yeah. the Dan Hill song on the album. You say and, you're free. That's the one that he had written. That's right. Yeah. And uh, uh, he said, they're just, I don't like what they're doing with my music. I hate all this instrumental stuff on the back. I said, don't worry about it. It'll all be fine. <laughs> yeah. So you, you kind of became friends with Dan Hill. And if you, if you talked to him over the years, did you stay in touch with him? Uh, only occasionally, you know, yeah. in passing. I mean, I was doing so many different things. I didn't really get a chance to socialize with yeah. other artists very much. Well, he, he won <laughs> male, most promising male artist of the year. Did he not that year? Yes, he did. 
Did I read that? Yeah. So that's kind of funny how that worked out. You were in one studio, he was in the other, and you both ended up winning the Juno. Yes. And I think Haygood Hardy actually won a, 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 an award that year too for his. Oh, neat. Well, there you go. Yeah. So at that time, you had a, a record deal with Epic and Columbia Records. Is that the de- is that what the situation was? With Columbia, yeah. I mean, Ep- Epic, yeah. I think, is a, an offshoot of CBS, or it was at the time. They distributed it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was curious, who was the band? Like, was it a studio band that they put some, a band together for you? Yeah, it was a studio band. Uh, and uh, they were all great guys, and I, I just really enjoyed working with them. Um, we got a chance, not all of us, but uh, a couple of members of the band and I and, and other uh, musicians that I knew uh, went on tour with Gina Vanelli just shortly after the uh, after the song really hit. Oh, good. Yeah, I was curious about that because I know you weren't sort of a band person in the sense that you came up with a rock and roll band or a pop band and said, hey, we want to record some songs. So I kind of wondered who the studio, whether it was a studio band or not. And then I listened to Mr. Fascination, which has got some funky, cool bass parts and stuff yeah. in it. So the bass player sounds like he was real good. Yeah, yeah. That that particular song was written by the engineer. He said, he, I said, I have a song I'd really love you to record. And I listened to it and I thought, oh, that's so much fun. It's a really yeah. cute little tune. Yeah, no, that's cool. And and it, of course, it's pop music. I, I can hear the musical in theater influence when I listen to it, but it's it's a pop record that was sort of geared towards that crowd, of course, with, with your hit, Keep Our Love Alive. And you didn't really diverge from that too much, right? I mean, it, it, it's a genre album from what I can hear. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, and pretty well stuck to pop, um, even a little touch of country rock, a little bit of folk. Yeah. So it was uh, a mixture. So did you do the, did you double your, your lead vocal sounds doubled in a few spots. Did you do that studio thing where you sing the part twice and then they layer it? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. I, no, I, well, yeah, I would layer, I would, uh, I'd sing it and then they'd get the, the first, um, track, uh, the way they wanted it, the way we wanted it. And then I would sing to that. So I would double it. Yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. I, I've done it lots. And it, actually, some of the Beatles songs, they, they keep them the same volume. So it's really clear that it's two voices, same guy. But yeah, it, it makes it sound a little thicker and 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 nice. But I, I did notice it, I think, on just on one of the tracks. So it was uh, it was good. I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of doubling. I felt that it distanced me as a singer from the listener. Yeah. I really preferred just having the solo voice be the solo voice so that there was more of an immediate connection with the, with the listener. Yeah, I suppose, although, you know, what the engineers are like, they want, it, they want to make things thicker and fatter. So sometimes I'll listen to an acoustic guitar and, and you actually, without listening closely, you think it's one acoustic guitar, but when you put the headphones on and listen to it, it's actually three or four and you can hear it. There's several guitars yeah. in there, but the average listener doesn't know that. Yeah, that's true. But I, I don't think that, I don't think they can quite get it that close, at least not a, a, in that time period, um, as close as what you're describing. Um, yeah. I always, I always, I, I, well, I guess I probably could hear it more than other people could hear it. Uh, I could really hear the doubling. 
Yeah. It was more it was more how I felt as a singer recording my voice. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you were in the studio, you had did you have a producer? Did you have a like a, a record company producer? Yes, Bob Gallo was the uh, was the person who actually brought the song to me, uh, Keep Our Love Alive, yeah. by Paul Davis. Um, and he was the one who arranged it the way it is arranged. Yeah. So and he was great. And he he had uh, he was a producer for the Supremes. Oh, nice. Actually. Okay. So he was making the calls. I mean, you weren't producing the album, right? You were the no. singer. You were the, the starlet, but uh, not getting the, making the calls on the album, right? Yeah. I mean, I had my say, which was good, no. and and he was great. He was he really, really a good producer, and I really enjoyed working with him. Yeah, well, and any producer that comes up with a hit song, you know, that, that speaks for itself, right? If you produce an album and there's even one hit song, I mean, most people never get a hit song in their lives. That's right. And, you know, I guess I guess in a sense, I don't know whether it's a, it's a tag that you like, but being a one-hit wonder, I mean, you basically had one hit song in your career, right? Yeah, that's right. And... Most people get zero hit songs in their career. <laughs> so. Well, and and it was a function also of the fact that I I am not a goal oriented person. I'm a process oriented person. I learned that later. I'm going okay. Well, why I could have done this and I could have done that. And what I realized was I just loved doing the work. I loved being yeah. in the studio and singing. Yeah. Well, good. No, and. and it's still played all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and even Dusty Discs plays it like that. They were so happy that uh, we could have you on to talk about the song and the album and the process because, uh, of course, that song gets regular rotation still, I'm sure, in lots of places. Yes, it is. It's on gold rotation yeah. um, still across oh, Canada. That's great. Well, listen, I want to take a very short break and then we will come back and continue the conversation. All right. We'll be right back. Check out songs from today's artists and other Canadian music makers of the 60s through the 80s on Dusty Discs Radio. Each Tuesday and Thursday, it's nothing but Canadian oldies. You'll hear songs you know, others you've forgotten, and maybe a tune or two you've never heard. Listen online at DustyDiscsRadio.com or download the TuneIn Radio app to your tablet or smartphone. Search Dusty Discs Radio and make it a favourite. Let's get back to our special guest. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are talking to Patricia Dahlquist, and we just talked about the album that came out in 1975 and the awards that you won and, and the uh, the hit song that you got with Keep Our Love Alive. And, of course, that's been covered by a, a bunch of other artists now as well. Uh, but it was written by, you said, Paul Davis? Yes. And so so the, the record company sort of looked after everything for you. Uh, you there would be no royalties for you on that. Um, so the, the album kind of, you did it, and then it, and it went away after that. You got your hit song. You got to do your tours. Yeah. And that was the extent of it for you? Pretty well, yeah. I mean, I I, I, I mean, I, I have recorded other albums. Um, I did it after uh, doing CBS. I did an album for um, CBC, the Radio Canada International um, arm of CBC. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. But the, so that was 1982, right? So there was quite a distance between that seven years. Yes, it would have been seven years. Yeah. And I was, I was curious about that because um, did your, did your record deal go away after the first album? Yes, they kept, they, they, they uh, um, released uh, several songs after that from the album. 
And the, um, I think the second one they did was the ABBA Bang a Boomerang. Yeah. And um, it did it did moderately well, but certainly not like uh, Keep Our Love Alive. And then I think the third release was Waiting for the Rain, which was my least favorite song on the album. Um, a good song, and it definitely I used it um, to sing on the um, uh, not yeah I think at the Ian Tyson show. Um, I sang it, and, a, and an audience member came up crying. She had tears rolling down her face. She said, "I love that song. Mm-hmm. It, it just made, it's my it's just you sang about my life." Yeah. <laughs> so you were on the Ian Tyson show. What year would have that would that have been? Um, that would have been I can't remember late seventies, I guess, right? Yeah, it would have been. It w- well, um, so seventy six, probably. 77 or 78. Yeah. Well, cool. So, so then you got a, so you got out of that record deal and you got into a, a deal with the radio Canada international. That's you did that. It was just a self-titled album, right? Patricia Dahlquist, 1982. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, uh, I did not get that. It was the, I was doing a show, um, a cabaret show at Cafe des Copains in downtown, uh, Toronto and a CBC, uh, producer was brought in um, from with with the CBS um, uh, John Williams one of the a and r guy from CBS brought the uh, CBC guy in to see me do this show and so they, they he agreed that he wanted to do an album with me yeah okay and then so that was a different record label different band different experience different studio different producer that's right yeah and so where was that recorded that was recorded just down the street from Manda sound actually it was in the um uh, sounds interchange which became another big uh, internationally known studio so that music i tried to find some of that online and i couldn't is that music not available uh did you try CBC or RCI? Yeah, I, I I looked around for probably half an hour and just trying to find a track that I could listen to, and I couldn't find one. I have a um, I have a disc. Yeah, yeah. No, I I'd love to hear it, but I I just wondered if it was if if nobody posted it online because usually people would put it on YouTube or there'd be some way to to just have a quick listen, right? Yeah. Huh. I yeah, wonder so- if I could do that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you probably could. I, I'd, I'd love to hear it, and uh, and maybe some of the other uh, nostalgic buffs would like to hear it as well. So yeah. maybe put it on there and see. Yeah. Yeah. So the other question I had for you is, who were your handlers and your managers? Did, did you have a, a group of people, or I mean, obviously, when you have a record deal, you have to have a manager. You have to have people around you. Um, I had a, a a wonderful manager. Her name was uh, Colleen Riley. And she was my manager yeah. when uh, this song hit. And for, unfortunately, for personal reasons and personnel reasons, we parted company. And that's one of the things I think I reject, I, I regret most in terms of yeah. my career. I think if I had been able to hold on to her as my manager, uh, it would have been a different story. Yeah. Um, so uh, John Williams. The NR director of CBS really kind of directed me 
um, through the maze of managers and possible managers and and um, and because he was with CBS Disc and uh, Keep Our Love Alive was on CBS Disc as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but I didn't have a team, unfortunately. Yeah, it is amazing when you look at it. People that don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but you really need a, an advocate for you in the music business because it's just such a sea of difficulties, and you're trying to manage. You you can't manage your own career. I I'm I'm a firm believer in that because there's so many things going on and and i've had the the sort of pit bull manager that goes out there and makes sure everything is the way that it is and and people may not realize how important that is but it's extremely important oh it is at number one paramount important yeah yeah it would have made a a huge difference in my life yeah well that's interesting well thanks for sharing that um, so do you have like a favorite recording experience or a favorite studio or, you know, producer, like what was the best studio experience that you had? Oh, good question. Um, I, I think I really, uh, when I think back about recording, um, Manta is definitely my favorite. It was a really good studio, well-run studio, really professional um, sounds interchange was good too, but it was, uh, didn't quite have the quality that Manta did. Okay. And that was in Toronto as well. Yeah. Yeah. The studio experience can be odd, right? I mean, it's, it's such a, it can be such an artificial environment. Yeah. It got, it got to be, uh, what another, uh, another favorite studio experience of mine was in actually in the, um, uh, Gatineau Hills at a studio called The Studio. (laughs) And it was a small, beautifully built little studio with um, windows that overlooked the mountains and the trees and a a small lake. And and people just went as a group. I I was doing background vocals for um, a group. I did it. I did backgrounds for several groups in 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 uh, Quebec, oh, and uh, and uh, so everybody would just move up to the space and stay in um, a set of uh, um, like a barracks, if you will, uh, but nice nice rooms. It wasn't like cots lined up as barracks tend to yeah. sound, but it was a really nice, almost resort type of of experience. Oh, How long were you there? Um, on and off for a couple of years. Oh, nice. I mean, not, not in the same, not living in the same space all the time. And I was back and forth between uh, Toronto and, and Quebec doing, uh, gigs in Quebec, doing gigs in Toronto. So lots of highway travel. Did you sing in French too? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. Can you speak French or no? No. (laughs) <laughs> no, just, just phonetically learn the words and, and sing them. Well, no, I, I learn them. Um, I learn, I understand the words. Okay. So when I can, when I sing in French, I, I absolutely understand all the words, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I find it easier to enunciate the, the uh, French words as I'm singing. Yeah. It's like the music uh, really helps that. Yeah. 
Yeah, neat. That's a neat experience. And and yeah, some of those studios, as I said, like what I've found in the studio is that some of them are just really artificial environments. It's really hard to get the the real sort of emotion and just be yourself and be relaxed. I've I've sat in studios where you feel like you're sitting in a very expensive cab with the meter running and you just everyone's tense and you're, <laughs> you're trying to get it done and it's just <laughs> sucks the, the creative life from you if you let it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And I found that being in the studio so much, I, I found it a very uh, natural experience for me because I'd, I'd spent a lot of time in the studios with Hey Good Hardy before I actually got into uh, recording my own album. Yeah. And um, so a, a, a lot of time was spent uh, with Hey Good Hardy and with Tommy Hunter in the, um, in the studios. Yeah. So um, got it. I really got used to being in the studio. And of course, since then, I've spent a lot of time in the studio with other singers as yeah. a vocal producer. And I really enjoy the studio life, I must say. Yeah. And try to make it relax. Well, that's the way you are, though. I, I know you well enough to know that you, you make every environment comfortable and relaxed. It's it's a key thing that you do when you're getting people to, when you're drawing them out and getting the best out of them. Then that's, that's up right up front what you do, right? I wish you could see my face. I'm grinning from ear to ear. Thank you. <laughs> well, I've seen you do it many times. <laughs> so another question I had for you is that you recorded many songs, but you you obviously have musical training too. How many songs did you write? Did you did you try to write some pop songs? Did you try to add some of your own tunes on there? No, I wish that I could have been able to. And I, I, I was just watching a little uh, bit of the um, uh, uh, Shania Twain um, uh, documentary on on CBC, I think it was CTV or C CBC, and she, she was talking about songwriting. And I, I I had a thought. I wish that I had had an inclination to do that, yeah. and I never did. What I ended up doing, my writing is, uh, I wrote two operas for my little opera company. Yeah. So I wrote, I've written lyrics, and uh, and my friend George Austin composed the music to these operas, yeah. which were real critical successes. I I I'm very proud of the lyrics that I that I wrote, but I, I was not, I did not even have an inclination to even think about writing a song. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, and because you have a background, like like some pop singers are just a pretty face and a nice voice, right? And you had so much more than that because you had musical training. Actually, you know, by the time I, I went into the studio to record, I, I, the only musical training I had was the violin. Yeah. I hadn't had any, I hadn't had any voice lessons. I hadn't had uh, any, I uh, didn't study music like the Royal Conservatory. I didn't, st I studied violin. I didn't study the music, yeah. like the actual, uh, what it comp what music is comprised of, yeah. the notes and the values and all of that. Um, it was only after I recorded that I went, you know what, I really should take this a little <laughs> further. <laughs> yeah, and you certainly could have. And uh, so, but you you were on CBC and then also Sesame Street. Is that right? Did you do something for Sesame Street? Yeah, I did an album for Sesame Street. Okay. Called Oscar, no, what is it? Oscar and Big Bird. Oscar the Grouch and Big Bird go camping in Canada. Oh, neat. And so what was your involvement yeah. in that? Did you sing the songs? 
it was almost like a little play, yeah. like these characters were in Canada. And so there was a little play and, and there were different characters. It was a young girl, um, Dawn, uh, oh, what is his last name? He's a, a Canadian or a Canadian actor. His daughter um, sang the little girl on, on the album. I sang, I think, a teacher or a mother. I can't remember what it was. Um, and so there was this little play that happened mm. and I was, I sang a lot of the songs on, on the album. Oh, neat. I got to work with Big Bird and Oscar, who were the same, he was the first same person. So Carol, um, I'm sorry, my brain is not remembering. Oh, Big Bird and Oscar were the same, the same character, the same, same person character. that did the same characters. Person. Yeah. Oh, neat. Yeah. And so he was in the studio and I worked with him quite a bit. And so what year would that have been? Good question. Um, or what decade? <laughs> <laughs> well, narrow it down. I'm just curious. Was it in the 80s? Was it? Uh... That's an even better question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would have been late 70s. No, that's okay. Late 70s. Maybe. Oh, may, no, just a second. No, early 80s. Yeah. Just trying to get a frame of reference because obviously you were at such a peak in your career at, at some point where you're touring and that. So did you like touring and traveling? Did you like that part of the business? I always loved traveling and I, I, I liked actually going to different places. Um, I did a lot of the driving too. So I would be driving with the, the guys in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, no, I enjoyed that. I, I, I enjoyed every bit of it. Um, yeah. There was one time, the only time that I didn't enjoy, there was a, a, a pair of people, a, a, some people in uh, Toronto that wanted to be my manager. And so we tried it out for a few months and uh, I didn't like them at all. And, yeah. um, you know, they just didn't know what to do with me. Yeah. It's interesting with the traveling because I, of course, I've been a professional entertainer my whole life and, I, and, and I've had people that love traveling and they say, wherever I hang my hat, that's where I live. I don't care. I love traveling and other people really don't like it. And, and myself, I, I didn't prefer it. I like to, you know, we do, we fly out and do a show and then come back or do several shows and come back. But traveling for me, I, I didn't like it and other people love it. So I always ask where you kind of fit on that, especially when you're young and you're doing your thing and you're you're a superstar, yeah. you're driving around feeling, feeling good, you know? So did you yeah. have a favorite city that you went to? Uh, it's okay to say Vancouver. I always think of Vancouver as my home. Yeah. So it, it's like, uh, um, whenever I came back here, um, when I was living in Toronto, uh, I would love being here. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is one of the reasons why I moved back. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, but, hmm, that I, you know what? I don't have an answer for that. I yeah. really enjoyed just about everywhere I went, even Prince Albert. Yeah. No, good. No, that's, it's nice. And, and the fact that you enjoyed traveling because if you don't enjoy the travel part of it, it can really get to you. And lots of musicians have written about how the, they love playing music and they love the crowds. They love the whole aspect of it, except being away all the time or traveling all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. So, that's interesting. So yeah, when you came yeah. back, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I can understand that. I can understand that. Um, it be, I mean, now I don't like to travel, so yeah. I can definitely tell you that uh, I can, I can understand how people 
would not have liked to travel before. Yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was going to ask about. Are you more reclusive now or just, just sort of more stay at home kind of a person now? Well, uh, I am more stay at home these days and loving it. Yeah. And, uh, I'm mainly staying at home because I'm looking after a senior cat. Yeah, there you go. You got, <laughs> and you got then, your purpose. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's nice. And uh, so just a couple other things I wanted to ask you about, then we'll take a break. But uh, one thing was, do you ever try to break it in the U.S.? You know, like uh, Canadians, we always have this discussion with Canadian artists. You know, you got to try to go to the States. You got to make it to the States. I'm just reading Paul Anka's book right now. And the first thing he did from Ottawa was go to New York, right? I mean, that's where he wanted to be. So what are your thoughts on that? Did you ever try to do that? Well, actually, yes, I did. I went down to L.A. and I went to L.A. and New York. And I had lots of um, lots of people tell me, oh, you should come down here. They'd love you. You should. And, and I remember going and doing a, a, a class in in New York and uh, where we had to actually perform for people in the class. And people said, oh, my God, you should come to New York. They'd love you. But I never, ever really felt confident enough to try and make it hmm. in, in, in the States. I'm, I guess being part of a, that being part of a process person, I was just more comfortable being in Canada. Yeah. And, and I couldn't see a way clear to getting a green card. I think that was one of the stumbling blocks, too, was I just didn't know quite how to go about doing that. Yeah, fair enough. And, and, you know, we often hear about people going to the, pursue their dream. Nowadays, it's Nashville. Everyone's going to Nashville. But for every success story that you hear, you and I both know there's thousands of people who just go down there and end up waitressing or, yeah. you know, either coming back. There's no pot of gold in New York or, or Nashville or, or L.A. for most people. I mean, the odd person will make a success, but most people, you know, their, their dreams are somewhat dashed, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. And I, I felt successful in Canada. You know, I yeah. already felt successful. And as, as I said, being a process-oriented person, it didn't matter. I just, yeah. it, where I was, uh, was, you know, even if I'm standing up there singing to 10 people, that's as important to me as standing up there and singing to 10,000 people. Yeah. You know, it just... Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's right. I've, I've seen you do it too. So I, you know, I do appreciate it. And uh, Okay, well, listen, we're going to take one more break, and then we'll come back and, and do our last segment. So we're speaking with Patricia Dahlquist, and we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, do you want to hear about new episodes before they go live? Then join the Liner Notes VIP community. You'll be able to listen to the weekly podcast before the general public, plus the episodes have no ads, breaks, or interruptions of any kind. You'll also hear exclusive bonus episodes and be the first to know about upcoming guests. To check out the details and become a member, go to linernotes.ca. Now let's get back to our special guest. All right, welcome back. We're talking to producer Dahlquist, singer, actor, dancer. We've been talking mostly about the music business, and I have a couple other things that I wanted to ask you about. One of them is the experience that we've had together in your stepping out. So you came back being such a diverse talent and and your musical theater and your opera and your teaching and your coaching and everything. And so I met you almost 30 years ago now. It would have been the early 90s, and you were yeah. doing this uh, stepping out shows where singers would come and you would train them for, I think it was six weeks, right? And then we, you would hire us as the band and we would come and play for them at the end of it. Yeah. And uh, so how did that come about? Oh, well, that's interesting. It was in uh, Toronto. 
1981, uh, a friend invited me to come to a class, which was the actual, the original stepping out class. Yeah. And I, I just fell in love with it. And, uh, and so uh, she said, why don't you um, consider um, taking it on, you know, leading it? Because you've had all this experience and, and you've got the ability. And um, I hummed and hawed a little bit and said, okay. So I took it on. I took on the class. And, of course, I made some changes. But I also went, when I went to New York, I had a chance to be part of a class that was the originator of the Stepping Out program. Oh. And, uh, and I got to see where she was coming from and, uh, and, and um, this uh, wonderful singer um, who was uh, a part of the Actors Institute in, in New York. Um, really encouraged me, and I had her come up to Toronto a couple of times to lead um, a, a shorter version of Stepping Out, like a, a weekend version of Stepping Out. And, um, and it, I just took it from there. So from about 1982 in Toronto, I was doing Stepping Out every three months. So I'd, mm -hmm. I'd do at least four of them a year. So as you know, there, it's, it's over six weeks and uh, with lots of extra work for the, the students to work with whoever is the accompanist for the for the show. I was yeah. I always managed to have great musicians. The the show at the end of of the six weeks was always jam packed um, with friends and family and and wannabes, and uh, and I just kept going. So wherever I was, I would I would do this stepping out class. So it was yeah. Toronto. Then it was Vancouver, and then I went up to the Yukon and uh, was up there uh, doing the Diamond Tooth Gertie shows um, uh, for about three years. Did shows up there, did stepping out classes up there. And then yeah. came back and started to do, again, the stepping out classes in, in Vancouver. Yeah, well, you had one booked before the COVID shutdown. You were going to do one earlier this year. Yes. <laughs> and so... I hope you get them up going up again. You know, it, it's funny because I can speak to that personally because I was there, but I just really appreciate the the moments that you created. Like it really, it really was touching and, and the way that you, you know, you almost life coach along with vocal coaching and drawing people out and making them feel comfortable. And there was one particular time, I can't remember what venue because you did them at a bunch of different venues, but one lady got up there and said, you know, when I was a kid, my mom said I couldn't sing and I took this class and I'm here tonight. I mean, I was almost in tears. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house and just you created those moments for people that really, really touched people way deeper than even the music. That's right. Uh, I had a singing teacher in Toronto that really inspired me to, to go that deeply with people. Because mm -hmm. when people take on a singing teacher or a singing coach, it's literally like having a, um, a psychoanalyst on the team. Because you have to really get down deep into what is stopping people from, from singing. Or what that they want to, but they're, they're having so much difficulty getting there. And uh, mm -hmm. it really takes helping people get past the perfectionist um stance that unfortunately gets drilled into kids early about you have yeah. to do it right or don't do it at all um and and realizing that perfectionism is such a death knell 
for creativity often. Yeah. And so to to lead somebody past that and to really get into this sense that they have to make friends with their voices. Because very often people yeah. will sing and they go, oh, I hate the way I sound. Or they see themselves on, on, on screen and go, oh, my God, is that what I sound like? And, and they have to, literally have to become friends with their voices and celebrate their voice. Yeah, it's it's such a good point, and and I've of course I've seen you do it many times, but it it is true. Like for me, being a professional singer too, singing is mostly about the mind. People tend to think it's about the voice, the throat, but it's the mind yeah. is where the voice comes from, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so no, it's it, so I I really appreciate being part of those, and I hope that I can be again. I'm I'm happy to do it again anytime if you can get them up and running again. I'd love to be part of it because I really enjoyed. There was there some of the you know, most touching moments that I've, I've experienced in my life, to be honest with you. Oh, Dan, that's great. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. you, are you kidding? Um, yeah. uh, Sylvia and I, so, so Sylvia uh, Metz, I don't know if you remember yeah. her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, we agreed that if we couldn't get March hair, we weren't going to do it. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> no well, Andy had it on the calendar. He's, he was happy to do it, uh, do the piano, of course, and the arranging and the working with, yeah. with the people. So, yeah. so yeah, anytime. Yeah. We're, we're definitely going to get it back up. We still have the uh, uh, our little um, Sylvia did a little uh, uh, website, yeah. and we're going to reactivate it as soon as possible. Oh, nice! You know, as soon as we can. Okay, well that's good. So then let's just hit on a few other things that you've done. Uh, you did the Surrey Sings, and you you got an award from the Surrey Arts Council, and the Men Are Positive, and that the King Who Refused to Sing, and the Young People's Opera Society. Do you want to talk about any of that? Oh, well, let's see. The uh, the King Who Wouldn't Sing was my first opera that I wrote. And I wrote it because um, uh, it was an idea that I had for a long time out of teaching voice. And um, uh, one of my friends said, you keep talking about this opera that you, an idea, where is this, where's the script? I want to see the libretto. And she kept on pushing me. She'd say, every time I saw her, she'd say, what don't I see? I don't see a script on front of me on the table here yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I finally when I finally sat down to write it and I'd had the idea for like 10 years I as soon as I sat down to write it it just flowed out of me hmm. all the, the all the dramaturgy the the exact place where the scenes should be the characters everything just flowed out of me my sister Julie helped me with it yeah. a little bit and then I gave it to my friend George, and he said, "Okay, when do you want me to start?" <laughs> and um, and then we did the the very first production for the Young People's Opera Society was the King Who Wouldn't Sing, and it was packed and it was wonderful. And uh, we've done it um, a second time, and we're probably going to be doing it a third time um, in the next couple of years. Oh, nice. So would that be at the yeah. Surrey Arts Center? Yep. More than likely, yep. Okay. And then... Yeah, we have... Go ahead. We, we, we're working... Uh, we work a lot with the Surrey Art Center now. We're, we're, we take all of our, our operas, uh, our productions there now. And as a matter of fact, in this area of COVID, what the Surrey Art Center is doing is filming the groups. So whoever wants to use the, uh, the, the stages... Uh, for production, they will film it and then we'll stream it afterwards. Oh, okay. And is yeah. that related to the Young People's Opera Society? Yes. 
we're, the, we're actually one of the first groups in there. So they're, they're trying everything out on us, which is great. Thanks. Okay, well, let's let's do the promo for that right now, then. It's the Young People's Opera Society of BC, or YPOSBC.org. Is that the information yes. center? Yes, and, and they'll probably be able to uh, watch it on there, but yeah. uh, okay. otherwise we'll be streaming it. Well, that's Yeah, great. YouTube or Vimeo or wherever we can uh, platform it. Yeah. So... I mean, obviously you've done so many diverse things like being, being a pop star wasn't your only and first and foremost goal in life. And, uh, so you've, you've done lots of different things, uh, but do you feel maybe that, do you ever have the feeling that you diversified too much, or maybe you should have focused on one thing or like acting, you know, you were, you were, I remember when you were on X-Files and you had done a bunch of other acting things, and then you've been sort of such a wide diverse range of things that you've done did you ever feel like you diversified too much that's really interesting thank you because this is a this is a full circle moment here because i remember in when i was 16 i was an artist i i wrote i was a singer i played the violin i was dancing and i said to my mom i think i'm doing too many things and she said, you know what? You do what you want to do. The physical stuff's definitely, um, you know, when as you have the energy and the, um, the body to do it. And she said, do that first. Yeah. If you want to do art later, you can do art later. But, you know, singing and dancing, all of that takes physical energy. You do that first. So I've never regretted being diverse. It's all part of the creative brain. I mean, you, you talk to any, um, well, you see uh, Sylvester Stallone, you know, do being an artist. Um, yeah. George Bush is an artist. <laughs> yeah. So pe people who have creative ability do think, do a lot of diverse things. It's all part of the creative brain. So yeah, no, I, I I've never that. regretted it. I've never regretted it. No. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I, I think that's, and it sounds like you're more of a sort of follow your nose wherever it goes. I, I'm interested in this, so I'm going to do this for a while. I'm interested in that. And and chasing a career as a pop singer is is just a, a cruel road. It would have oh, sucked the life out of you eventually. That's right. <laughs> it's not, not something I would uh, recommend to people unless it's just, unless you just have that's to do right. it because. Yeah. You know, yeah, you have to have the stomach for it. You have to have the the emotion for it. You have to have it. You have it has to be something that pulls you forward, and that's that's always what happened with me. It, I just got pulled forward into it. Yeah, well, and and the whole music business too, right? I mean, it's there's there's a big price to pay for chasing your next hit and then sacrificing yourself, endless tours, those kinds of things. Really, really are life diminishing. You can be really successful in one area and just completely, you know, dilapidated in, in another area of your life. So that's right. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. So that's kind of leads to my next question. You know, what, what did you sacrifice for the success that you achieved? Like, did you, what, what did you give up or sacrifice so that you could follow the things that you wanted to follow? Personal relationships. Yeah. Yeah like friendships or, or marriage or those kinds yeah, of things marriage and and yeah intimacy and all of that yeah yeah was it worth it for me it was yeah um, yeah i i was I, I was brought up alone I, I really my mom just let me do whatever i wanted to do so i'd go mountain climbing so it you know yeah. 
at uh, a nine, I remember at nine years of age being at the top of a mountain in the in the Purcell Mountains uh, above the tree line, looking down at the lake and going, "Oh my God, this is just so beautiful." And yeah. so I never ever regretted being alone, but I yeah. did miss intimacy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And did you have a family? No. 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 I think that's my. Uh, if if there was a regret to have, I think that would be my biggest regret. Okay. Well, yeah, that's interesting because I, I always ask people, you know, looking back, what would you change about the course of your career? You know, how it was handled, like the managers, the bandmates, the studios, the producers, the, the, the decisions that you make. Can you think of anything that you might have done differently looking back? Yes. If I had held on to my first manager, Colleen Riley. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely change that. Yeah. And then sort of bandmates and, you know, friendships that you make over the years. Was there a situation that sort of went away that you wished hadn't? Um, no, I think that that's the main one. That's yeah. the main okay. one. Right. Yeah. That's a good, good one. I mean, lots of guys that were in bands, you know, they, they, they lost their band or they had friends that they were really close to and that they came up together. Like, that's the one thing that's it's perhaps different with you. Like a lot of the bands that came up, they're, they're buddies, you know, and they're on the road and they're friends and they're having fun and they're doing it together. sounds like for you, other than your manager, you were kind of riding alone, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I loved my band members. Any, any, any of the musicians that I worked with, I just, loved i, I yeah. that's a, for me um the 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 best part about about the doing what i do is being up on stage with the band members singing that to yeah. me is the best of all possible worlds yeah yeah there's there's a real special feeling about that and I, and it's funny because when you do the step and oak classes too that's sort of the the final part of it you say well you you can be real good in rehearsals and everything else and then all your friends and family show up and then there's the band behind you and it's, it's a totally different world that you have to learn to be comfortable in that world and and of course most of them as they're learning aren't yet and you're trying to help them to do that so it's another aspect of what you do yeah <laughs> it's very selfish because i let myself get up on stage and sing with the band <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, if, if I can just make a comment about the stepping out classes, what I found is that in the afternoon when we're doing the rehearsals, uh, they're quite relaxed and we're just sitting around and we're trying to make them feel comfortable and they do quite a good job. And then when the nerves hit later on in the night, sometimes that has an adverse effect, right? That you're trying to help them get over. Yes. <laughs> and I did notice that quite a bit. Yep. Yep. That's all part of it. Yeah. Well, good. Well, this is this has been really enlightening. I get just a couple more questions that I just want to ask uh, that I usually ask my guests at the end. And what is what is it about you? Something about you that uh, people wouldn't know? Something you're comfortable sharing with the audience? Or what do you do besides music? Do you have any other hobbies or passions? Or I know you got your cat, but anything else? Oh, my cats! I have learned to become a gardener, and I oh. just love it. Oh, good. I love it. I have this huge yard. And I do a lot of work in it. <laughs> Sometimes my back tells me to stop. Yeah. But but if it didn't, I'd just keep working away at it because it's oh, so nice. wonderful. Yeah. So you still you still live in the same place? You haven't moved since yeah. you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah, been here since ninety two. Oh wow. So you're gardening. Well, very nice. So that that's satisfying too. So you get to you get to make a salad and eat the stuff you grew. That and and have beautiful flowers. 
Yeah. Then I usually ask my guests at the end, you know, is there some greater meaning? And I can answer this for you, but I'll let you answer. But some greater meaning beyond the music, you know, do you feel like you made a difference in the world? And of course, I know that you have. <laughs> yes, I do. You know, I really do. Like, I've had so many letters of recommendation and letters thanking me and, and uh, just the feedback from people is just phenomenal. And um, that that really shows me in a concrete way that I actually made a difference in their lives. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I can witness that myself. So no, I do appreciate that. Well, th- well, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure that the listeners will uh, appreciate the things that you had to say. And I, I try to get a little bit more than just about the musical stuff, but I want to know the person. And, and of course, being a friend of mine, I've known you for many years. So it's it's nice to be able to talk to you and let you share some of, some of the personal stuff too, because I think that's uh, interesting to people. And, and hey, at the end of the day, we're all just people, right? We're trying to live our lives and do the best that we can. No, Dan, I'm so glad you asked me. It, I've always really enjoyed your playing. I enjoy who you are as a person. I think you are just such a giving, con- contributive person and uh, a, a lovely man. You really are truly a lovely man as well as a lovely uh, talent. I appreciate that, Patricia. But uh, you know, it's I, I I care too, you know, and, and I and I I realize that you do, and that's one of the things that, that drew me to you in the first place was that you, you, know, you care about people, care about people first, and then everything else is you know whether you can sing or dance or act, that's all second to the actual person, you know, and that's try to the way, the way that I try to be too. So I do appreciate that. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Many thanks to Patricia Dahlquist for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from her extraordinary life as an entertainer. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. You can also become a member if you'd like to get notifications and other inside information and perks. We'd love to have you on board. We also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio at DustyDiscsRadio.com Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you are hearing on this show. Until next time, take care. 